Okay, everyone, we are now live. Thank you for coming. Um, tonight, 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 first of all, good to Chodesh, a blessed new month to everyone. Today was Rosh Chodesh. The subject of today's class is actually going to be Rosh Chodesh. So this is Rosh Chodesh Shvat. So first of all, I want to thank the anonymous donor for today. Sponsor, Hashem should bless Anonymous with a really good year. Today is their birthday, and um, so Hashem should bless them with abundance and goodness and a wonderful good year on all aspects, the material and in the spiritual. Thank you so much for that dedication. Okay. Um, there were some other people who didn't specify that they're sponsoring a year, but they were uh, doing the end of the fiscal year donations, and they gave to Mayan, so publicly I will thank that. That was really nice. Hashem Shabbat Shalom, with abundant blessings and bracha and only, only good. Okay, that being said, now we're ready to start. So the month that we started now is the 11th month of the year. Now, it's nice, there are certain dates that are explicitly discussed in the Torah. There are a few dates. One of the dates that is discussed in the Torah, for instance, specifically, course, there's the holidays, tells you which month, which day. They're going out of Mitzrayim, the 15th of Nisan, the 10th day of Nisan that Hashem spoke to Moshe and he told him the mitzvah, this week's parashah, and then we have the holidays, again, as I mean, Hashem tells you which day is, should be a holiday, and then by the Mabel, there are, by the flood, there is a couple of dates that are mentioned, when the flood started, when the flood ended, so there are dates that are mentioned in the Torah, and it's always unique to be able to find a day. You have 365 days of the year, and they're not all explicitly stated in the Torah. Another one that's explicitly stated in the Torah is the parallel day to today. When you take the year and you divide it to six and six, so the parallel day, the first day of the month of Av is mentioned in the Torah as the yard site of Aaron HaKohen. It's the only yard site mentioned in the Torah, but that's in the summer. Um, now, the first day of Shvat is mentioned in the Torah. A, a, a very important event that we'll talk about now. And what's mentioned in the Torah is in the beginning of the book of Deuteronomy, in the, book of the, the beginning of the book of Devarim. Over there it says that Moshe began to explain the Torah on, on this day, on the first day of the 11th month. The 11th month is the month of Shvat. On the first day of the month of Shvat, this is right in the beginning of Sefer Devarim. Oops, wrong. Not wrong, but the wrong one that I wasn't looking for right now. This is the one I was looking for right now. I'll pay, this is chapter one in Devarim and verse number five. Uh, so first, it's actually, it starts in verse Gimel, uh, verse three, which is Gimel, and continues into Hay. So in the beginning, it says, It was at 40 years. In the 11th month, the 40th year from when they left Egypt. So in the year 2448, I'm sorry, 2488. To creation on the 11th month on the first day of the month Moshe began to speak I'm sorry Diber Moshe, Israel. Moshe speaks to the Jewish people and he relates to them the book of Devarim not the whole thing but at least he starts and that's what and, and two verses later it says where it was the Avra Yardin on the other side of the Jordan by Eretz Moab in the land of Moab Moshe begins to explain the Torah Lame. Simply, it means he starts to reveal what's called Mishnah Torah, the part of the Torah, the book of, of, of the Varim. 
Um, Rashi, however, tells us on the word be'er esatayrazois, that be'er also means to explain, means that Moshe Rabbeinu took the, uh, related and conveyed the entire Torah in 70 languages. Let's stop for a moment. That's an awesome statement. Moshe taught the entire Torah in every language. 70 languages, with 70 nations according to the Torah, 70 languages. So Moshe spoke, imagine saying the entire Torah in every single language. But Moshe, on, on the last, uh, this is about a month before he passes away, a month and a week, five weeks before he passes away, he spends so much time relating the Torah in 70 languages. Now we know Moshe's time is pretty busy. He doesn't, he's not a type of person who had time on his hand uh, to do a whole lot of things, especially five weeks before he passes away. So if Moshe Rabbeinu spent all that time relating the Torah in 70 languages, it's got to be pretty important. But when is the anniversary of that? Today. The first day, now it's already the end of the day, first day of the month of Shvat. We have to say that somehow this is very, very important. Now Moshe Rabbeinu accomplished something really, really, really essential, core essential to for the ultimate purpose of creation and for for you for the world, for humanity, for all of us, by translating the Torah into 70 languages. And that in some reason it has something to do with the month of Shvat that somehow connected to the Torah tells us not only did it take place in the month of Shvat, but it took place on the first day of the month of Shvat. Now I have a different intention of, of, of saying that today because it's cold a little bit now. Since we're gonna this, we're gonna we're not we're learning the parsha. We're not learning parsha's bow, or we're not discussing that. Instead, we're learning parsha's devarim. Parsha's devarim is in the middle of the summer. Maybe that'll warm up a little bit if we learn it. See? Trying to control the weather over here in LA. It's nice when it's a little cool, but you know, a little warmer is also good. In any case, let's see if it works. Let's see if tomorrow temperature rises. Then you'll say I'm a miracle worker. Okay, it's not me. I'm just relating what it says. In any case, it's just funny that I just thought about it. Why am I teaching now something relating to the summer? But the MS is, it's, it's, it's related to the month of Shvat. It's not related to the summer. We read it in the Torah in the summer, but it happened, the anniversary of when it happened was Rosh Chodesh Shvat. Okay. So we need to understand what's the significance of that. Okay. Now the main question is, why did Moshe have to tell the Jewish people the Torah in English and in Mandarin, right? That's the language, the, the, the Chinese language. Uh, and uh, one of the versions of it, and in uh, who knows all, and, in, and all the other languages, in French and in uh, po Polish. Like, why in the world, again, whether these were the 70 languages, obviously they didn't, I don't know if they were around then, but at least the original early languages that they are the basis of these languages were definitely there. Um, and Moshe related it now for who? Why was that necessary? His students are the Jewish people. And why did he do it at the end of the 40 years? So the commentators um, uh, uh, discussed this. What was the purpose of it? That Moshe Rabbeinu is relating the Torah in 70 languages. To what end? What was that necessary? Was it because maybe some Jews, Jews really only the Jews, um, maybe there might have been Jews who didn't understand the Hebrew language, the holy tongue. That's not acceptable. Let me read to you a fascinating Radak in Tehillim. The Radak says, 
on the, 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 the verse in Psalms, there's a parak in Tehillim, which we also said today, because we said Halal today, because it was Rosh Chodesh. So when we say Halal, we say, when the Jews went out of Egypt, Beis Yaakov, the house of Jacob, went out, from a nation with a foreign tongue. So the Radak says, why is it called from a foreign tongue language, from a, a, a foreign tongue nation? So the Radak, who was the, one of the great commentators on the on the on the prophets says a kolaymar yatsu medaber loshen acheres she'ain a loshen ivri that the Egyptians spoke a different language to us to the Jewish people it was a foreign language kolaymar yatsu shloyam mevinim loshoyam avapishi yefshloyam mevinim come they went they the, the Jewish people didn't understand the Egyptian language to them it was a foreign language so he says even though you have to say that there were those who did understand. Because it can't be that they lived amongst the Egyptians all these years. 210 years they lived amongst the Egyptians. So the, the Redak says, yeah, Probably some Jews understood the Egyptian language. They had the workers. They were working amongst them. But he says, there were Jews who never left the land of Goshen. There were those Jews who had to go, whatever they... Maybe some of the, some of the camps were in different places, the labor camps. But others... Maybe the tribe of Levi or whatever didn't work. They they never left the land of Goshen. That's the land of Goshen. We had a class about Goshen a, a couple of weeks ago. We spoke about it. And they spoke only Hebrew. And even, it's so beautiful, even the Jews who were going out amongst the other people and they spoke the Egyptian language, it was only it was not something that they enjoyed. It was something that they had to do because it was just, you know, they, they couldn't go. They, they needed it for survival or whatever. Uh, they, they, they did it. It was something that was kind of forced on them, but not something that they willfully did. This is so beautiful. The Jewish people amongst themselves, they re-kept their language. And they only spoke the Hebrew language amongst themselves. As we know, one of the merits of the Jewish people, it says they didn't change their language. So 210 years, they didn't, they kept their Jewish tongue. They kept themselves as a, they knew that Egypt wasn't their home. They knew Egypt was only, you know, they, 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 they were meant to go to the land of Eretz Yisrael, the land of Canaan, make it Eretz Yisrael. So then God took them out from a foreign language. What do you see from here? Radak, beautiful source, and including in addition to Medrash as well, that it says the Jews didn't change their language, is literally, they hardly spoke Egyptian. They spoke Hebrew tongue, if that's the case. So when Moshe has the Jewish people in the desert, especially at the end of the 40 years, they're all speaking the language. So if they're all speaking Hebrew, why does he have to tell it to them in languages that they have no idea what he's talking about? Well, Moshe... When Moshe was saying it, who understood him? No one even understood what he Maybe there were a few of them who were great linguists and knew other languages, but most of them. And if they knew Egyptian, that was one other language. What's the other 69 for, 68 languages? For what purpose? Some of Arshim want to say that it was because this is the, the Lavush. He's a Pirishan Rashi by the great um, Allahic authority called the Lavush. So he wants to explain the reason why, say the reason why 
Moshe said in another language is because in addition to Jews, there were also non-Jews who converted. And those were all the, what we call the Erev Rav. The Erev Rav were the riffraff group who joined when the, the exodus was so spectacular that many people wanted to join along. And they joined and they were not Jewish. And these people did not. And they came from various definitions, mostly Egyptians, but there were others who joined the Jewish people at that moment of triumph. It says that God did not want them to join the Jewish people, but Moshe did accept them. And once he accepted them, he had to treat them nicely and fairly. And if they became part of the Jewish people, he, he felt that he needed to teach them that they should understand what he's teaching. And that's the reason why he interpreted the Torah in 70 languages to make sure that there shouldn't be even be one of them who maybe doesn't understand what he, the Torah. So, because you know, they're all expected to keep the Torah. That's an explanation. The problem with that is, why does he wake up now at the end of the 40 years? He's been teaching Torah for 40 years. So all that time, these people were sitting there and, 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 and had no idea what he's talking about. And they needed to do all the catching up now, 40 years later. He should have done this all along. That he should have, every mitzvah he heard from God, every time he's communicating the divine commandment, the mitzvahs, the mitzvahs came to the Jewish people mainly in the first year. And then they studied throughout the 40 years, all the details of it. And then at the end of 40 years, Moshe does a review. So why is it only now by the review that he's including these people? So it's a little hard to understand. Others want to say, to answer that particular question, that if we hear there was a whole new batch of converts who just joined, who were these converts? Moshe just defeated the great giants, Sichon and Og. You see, the nations of the world were kind of holding out on the success of the Jewish people because they believed that this was temporary because once they're going to come and going to try to enter into the territory of these mighty kings, they're going to be crushed. So therefore, they were still on the fence. Those that were kind of thinking of maybe, you know, joining the Jewish experience, they were kind of thinking that probably it's not necessary. The Jews are not going to make it all the way. They're going to kind of, it's going to be, the, the, the Jewish plan is going to be aborted. Somewhere or something. They went out of Egypt, but they're not going to make it into the promised land. God can't defeat these two giants and the great kings that were living there. So therefore, they were waiting. And once they saw that Moshe took down these two mighty kings, and then they already believed that it's a done deal and that the Jewish people are going to be living in the land of Israel. So at that time, many more converted. And that was only at the end of it. That's what it says earlier. The verse before it says that Moshe described the Torah in 70 languages. The Torah describes specifically that Moshe had just beaten and just killed Sichon and Og. So and this is the reason why there was a whole new batch of converts who came from all around to convert. So for these people, Moshe interpreted the Torah. Okay. Um, that could be an explanation, but... Um, we can do better. If Moshe is sitting and explaining the Torah for 70 languages, perhaps there's a much deeper reason of why that was necessary and why um, this was something that he did. So, um, oh, now there are others that say, I'm gonna suggest another answer. There are others who argue and who wanna make the argument and say, Moshe knew that the Jewish people will not survive in the land of Israel forever. He knew already, God had told him already earlier, you see it in the in Mishnah Torah later, that Moshe prophesizes that the Jews are going to be dispersed across the nations. And a day will come that it's very possible Jews will forget the Holy Tongue. And like we find, happened, 
until the re resurgence of Hebrew, besides scholars, people who always studied the Torah, many Jews didn't really know Hebrew. They spoke Yiddish in the Eastern European countries and in other places they spoke Ladino or other languages or the languages of the country. So um, and for that needed, they needed translation. How many Jews today come to come to uh, come to shul or don't come to shul, and their only connection to the Torah is through the Torah's trans is is written in English and in other languages. So, in order to help the Jewish people out um, in the latter time after the exile, so Moshe is already preparing the Jews for something that was going to happen hundreds of years later close to a thousand years later. And that is the reason why he interpreted the Torah into the other languages. Problem with that is, is that really something that Moshe himself has to do? Couldn't the, the later latter rabbis who are living much closer to the exile be the ones who interpret the Torah into the other language? It's a technical thing. You want to make sure that the Jewish people will have access to the Torah. So as it's coming, you know, you're, you're, the prophets are telling you that God is going to lose patience and the troubled days are coming. How many prophets did God send before he destroyed the temple and sent the Jewish people into exile? It didn't come without warning. It came with a lot of warning. We find that, for instance, um, one of the kings um, already up cl close to 100 years or maybe 60, I don't know exactly how, 50 years before, I don't remember the number, but a, quite a time, a couple of, definitely a couple of decades before the the um, before the uh, destruction of the temple, they made certain preparations for the destruction. For instance, one of them, primary ones, they took the ark, the Aron, and they took it down and hid it somewhere deep, 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 deep in the sub cellars of the temple. And it's still there today, and it was not found ever. It's concealed. So for 50 years about, they didn't have the temple in the Holy of Holies, even in the first temple era, because they were already preparing for what was going to happen. But when did they do that? as the trouble, as the dark clouds can already be seen over the horizon. So the same thing, the rabbis of the later generations could have already prepared us at that thing. For another example for that, the very writing down of the Mishnah, which we know the oral Torah is supposed to be kept oral. It's not supposed to be written. But yet we find that at a later time, Rebbe, the author of the Mishnah, Rebbe Nuh Kaddish, conveyed or, or transmitted the Torah into a document, into the Mishnah, and the purpose of it is, as Maimonides explained, because he knew the Jewish people are being scattered and we will lose touch. We will not be able to ha have it all in memory. And therefore, we need to have it written down. So again, Moshe didn't do that. It was done later. So if the purpose is just to assure that the Torah will make it through intact and we'll be able to study Torah throughout all the time, Moshe doesn't have to be, it doesn't, it's not Moshe's responsibility it could be the responsibility of the later leaders, especially to do this five weeks before he's passing when he's got to really wrap up all the important stuff. Why was this so important for Moshe to do this? That's the question. So the answer to that is a very, 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 very important idea. And that is when we talk about Lashon HaKodesh, the holy tongue, Nachmanides tells us in Parshas Kisisa, one of the other very important statements you know the hebrew is called the holy tongue lashon hakodesh why is it called the holy tongue so maimonides rambam in his book is kind of like 
you know, he likes to rationalize everything in his book, Murdo. He guides for the perplex. It's a very, it's trying to, it's, it takes the Torah and, and it kind of very much, um, you know, tries to find more, um, you, you know, human reasons for things as opposed to keeping things. Uh, Rambam does that a lot in his guides for the perplex because he was dealing with, uh, the age of philosophy and people with questions and so on. They needed to understand everything logically. So one of the astounding things that Rambam says is the reason it's called the holy tongue is not because of some intrinsic superiority to the language, but because it's, it's a language that's very refined. It's a refined language. It's a pure language. And he says, because you find that in the Hebrew, there are no words for certain things that are not clean. You know, for, for, he says, for urine, you don't have really a word in Hebrew. You don't have a word for other excrements. You don't have words for, um, like he, he says, it's a very clean language. And because of the, that's holiness. It's holiness, it's meant to be refined. In modern Hebrew, you do have names for all of this. But in, in, in the original Lashon Kodesh, and that makes it holy. Nachmanides argues strongly on the Rambam. Um, oh, yeah. Nachmanides in Parshas Kisisa, and he says, he's talking about over there on the where it speaks about Shekel HaKodesh, the holy Shekel, which is a which is a currency. It's called a holy currency. So he explains why it's called the holy currency. I'm not going to go into that now, but in a, in a once he talks about holy currency, he's talking about holy language. What makes the Hebrew tongue the holy language? So here's the beautiful words. Why do our teachers refer to the Torah as Lashon HaKodesh? It's because Torah and the prophecies, and all the holy words, God, the reason it's called the holy tongue is because God is holy, and, and God said the Torah, and all the holy books were all said in this language. When he says all the holy books, I would say almost, almost all the holy books, because in the in the uh, part of the the uh, the scripture there is the book of Nehemiah, Daniel, and certain uh, chapters over there, or maybe I don't know if all of them or some of them are written in Aramaic. So there is some inclusion of Aramaic. But by the way, we should know that Aramaic is not considered completely on the same level like all other languages. It's a notch higher than the other languages, closer to the Hebrew language. Uh, it has a certain purity, in a sense, and closer to, ho to holy like the Hebrew tongue. But in any case, but what he means in general, most prophets, when a prophet received prophecy from God, it came to him, to him or her, in the holy tongue. And so it was when God communicated to Moshe in the Holy Tongue. And the reason is because that's, that's God's language. Hashem speaks Hebrew. When God speaks, he speaks the Holy Tongue. With his prophets and with his assembly. For example, when God spoke at Sinai, he didn't always speak to his prophets. He spoke to all of us. And he spoke and he said, I am your God and you shall not have any other gods and all the other commandments of the Torah and the Nebuah. It was all spoken in the Holy Tongue and God's names have meaning in the Holy Tongue. They are words in Hebrew. Kale means the powerful one is Hebrew. 
Elohim means the judge or the force the, 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 is in Hebrew. Shindalid Yud, Shaddai, is a meaning of Hebrew. Yud Kevavke, even the Tetragrammaton, which means the one who causes beingness, being, the power of beingness, or was, will be, and is, was, and will be together, transcending time, it's all, it's all in Hebrew. So even God's personal names are names in Hebrew, because this is God's language. Anyways. And that's another thing. God created the world with in the holy tongue. In with in Hebrew. And God names all the names which God named, like he says that this is called heaven, and this is called earth, and this is called light. But it says it says God Himself named certain things. For example, day and night. Yoim for the light Hashem called the day, and it says so Hashem called it. So day that's Hebrew. It doesn't say in the Torah God called the day. It says Hashem called it Yoim. It doesn't say He called it night in English. It says He called it Layla, Layla, which is in Hebrew night, and so forth. And even his angels, he names them Hebrew names. Michael, Gabriel. Gabriel means just the mighty one. Gibor Kale. It's Hebrew. And when God names the Avram, Yitzchak, Shlomo, interesting. He says, oh, God. Avram, Avram wasn't named by God. He was because Hashem, his initial name was Avram, and then Hashem added a hey, and it's Avraham. It's in Hebrew. And he says Yitzchak, for instance. Hashem told Avram to name him Yitzchak. So Yitzchak, it's also a Hebrew name. Tzchok for the laughter, which is in Hebrew. Ushlomo. Shlomo is also, it's interesting, but Shlomo's name must have been given by God. Also Hebrew. Anyways, and then he brings Maimonides a statement that it's because it's a clean tongue, and he rejects it. He says, you don't have to say that at all. It's holy because it's holy. Because it is a superior language. It's God's language, and everything was created with this language. This is the original language. Fine. If that's the case, if this is God's language, and we are studying Torah, what's Torah? What's Torah? Torah is Hashem's, it's a, it's a communication by, from us to God. I'm sorry. It's God's communication to us. And when we study Torah, we are studying God's wisdom and God's will. Torah is divine. So if Torah is divine, it's God's wisdom and God's will. So the language of the Torah ought also to be divine. Just like the concepts of Torah, the ideas of Torah. These are God's ideas. It's either God's will conveyed to us in the Torah or God's wisdom that's conveyed in the Torah. But the medium of that, of that, of that communication is through words. Now in order for it to be Holy Torah, which means divine, divine Torah, it would only make sense that it has to be said in the holy tongue. That means only when you are saying it in holy words are you speaking God's Torah. 
If you are saying words of Torah in another language, for instance, as we are doing over here for the last 20 minutes, or every time we learn over here, we're learning in English, it would then say that it's not Torah. We're speaking about Torah, but it's not holy. These words are not holy. What I'm saying right now is not holy words. Because it's not God speaking. It has to be God. It's not, it's not God's language. You're speaking a different language. Just like if I would be telling you my own ideas, which are not God's ideas. It would be nice, but it's not Torah. So the same as if I'm speaking, even if I'm speaking God's ideas, but I'm speaking it in a language that's not. So the ideas are holy, but not the words. Now, over here itself, we can differentiate between the written Torah and the oral Torah. Because the difference, we know there's two parts to Torah. Torah Shabiksav and Torah Shabopeh. Torah Shabiksav is the written Torah. The five, the, whether the scripture, which we know over there, the words are have to be accurate with absolute accuracy. The words are very, 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 very important. You can't say the Torah in other words. Torah has, you know, the rabbi or is reading in the Torah on Shabbos and he can say, you know, it's a little, little tricky. It's a little bit confusing. You know, I'll do the Kriya this week and I'm just going to rearrange the words of the Pasuk. So it makes more sense. There's many psukim, there are many verses that Rashi tell us and the commentator says that it's a little bit of a lopsided verse. And the really to understand the verses, you got to put these three words, you got to like rearrange the Pasuk. Rashi helps us do that. But even though Rashi says that, Rashi didn't, God forbid, have the audacity to go and switch the verse. <laughs> Rashi doesn't do that because Rashi knows the Torah is divine. You don't mess with God's words. He's saying the explanation of it, the understanding of it is so. But if you're reading it in the Torah, you got to read it accurately. If you read it differently, you're not reading Torah. In Torah Shabbat the words are the actual words that God spoke. So much so in Torah Shabbat which means in the written Torah, the words are the words that God speaks. That there is, an, there is a holiness in the words that in Torah Shabbat the, the rule is that even if you don't understand one word you're reading, if you read Hebrew and you're reading the Chumash, you're reading the Torah, the five books of Moses, or even for that case, the prophets, and you don't know one word what it's saying, or you're not thinking, you're just daydreaming and you're just reading the words, you are, you are fulfilling the mitzvah of studying Torah because you're engaging in a godly act because these are the exact words that God said. You're now communicating God's words, even if you're not paying attention or you have no idea what we're saying. That's in as much when we're learning the, the written tongue. So over there, of course, it goes without saying that what? That on that, for that aspect, it must be only in these words. If I would take in Torah Shabbat, in the written Torah, and I would translate like they do many, in every shul we have it. <coughs> um, um, with English translation, Spanish translation, Russian translation, French translation, Portuguese translation, any kind of translation, Persian translation, Arabic translations, or whatever translations there are. If you would read it Chumash, the written Torah, with any of these translations, it would be likely to say that it's not holy. 
because that's not God's language. That over here, over here, the holiness is in the words. That's that uh, regarding the written Torah. We we for sure should have said that, but even regarding the oral Torah, where it's not so important the actual words. What's mostly important are the concepts and the ideas. Because in the oral Torah, for instance, when you're learning Talmud, or you're learning Mishnah, or you're learning Midrash, if you open up a book and you're reading the words of the Mishnah, or the words of the Maimonides, and so on and so forth, and you have no, no clue what you're saying, it's not considered study. You're not learning. You're reading. It's nice to better read that than other things, but you're not really studying. Because the whole idea in, 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 the, in the oral law is the understanding of it. And if you don't understand it at all, you're not learning. Because over there, the holiness is in the ideas, not in the words. So over there, we might argue and say, oh, in, in, at least in that part of Torah, it doesn't make a difference which language. Because it's just the ideas. However, that's not true. The reason it's not true. Because even in the realm of the oral Torah, there is still something to say about the verbalization of it. The articulation of these words in words. The words too are holy. And where do we find that the words themselves are holy? Yes, the primary element is the concept. The words without, unlike the written Torah, where even the words without the content is holy. In the oral Torah, the words without the content doesn't have that level of at least holiness because you, you, it's like an empty shell. There's no, there's nothing in it. The main holiness is in the concept and in the ideas that are in it. But over there too, the words are holy. Now, where do you see that? There are certain halachos, certain laws that apply to a person studying Torah and they apply only to the verbalization of it. For instance, you're not supposed to you're not supposed to learn Torah when you when a person is naked. You're not dressed and you're not covered properly. You're not supposed to learn Torah. Are you allowed to think Torah? You know, person I don't know. They stole someone's uh, someone's clothing. Okay, he went to the beach. He took a little swim. He comes back and they stole his clothing. So what does he do? So he's he's figuring out how to how to how to how to how to get himself covered. But meanwhile. What is he doing? And he and he wants to study Torah. He's not allowed to study Torah. You're not allowed to say it. But you're allowed to think it. No prohibition. So what do you see over here? That's speaking it. That's there's a holiness in the words. Here's another question. Every morning we are supposed to um, every morning we are supposed to say the blessings of the Torah. And we're not supposed to learn Torah until we first make a blessing on the Torah. It's called Birchas HaTorah. We have to bless God for the Torah. We're not allowed to learn before that. However, the prohibition of against learning before you say the Birchas HaTorah is only to verbalize it, to speak Torah. But to think it, you're allowed to. There's no prohibition on thinking Torah before you say Birchas HaTorah. Again, another indication. That yes, it's true. That what? That the primary holy, the primary 
the primary idea of the oral Torah are the ideas and the concepts, but there is also a, an element that we say that these words are holy words. It's divrei Torah. That's why. If, they, if the words wouldn't be holy and it's only the concept, it should be the opposite. Who cares? You should make the blessing on the thinking of it, not on the saying of it. Or you should be able to say those words when you're not dressed because who cares about the words? It's mainly the concepts. Why are we? And the answer to that all is, is because, of course, there is a holiness in the words, even in Torah Shavuot. Now, why is it holy? Why is it holy? Both. The words of Torah Shabbat of the written Torah, and the words of Torah Shabbat which we had just established, is also holy. Why is it holy? Holiness is only, there's only one cause for holy. We don't originate holiness. The only thing that, the only entity that originates holiness is God. God is holy. And wherever God's, God, there is a revealed presence of God, that's holy. That's what it's explained in Tanya. Wherever God is manifesting, God is everywhere, but not everything is holy because he's not manifesting in a revealed way. Wherever God manifests in a revealed way, it is holy. A mezuzah is holy because God is manifested in a mezuzah in a revealed way because the mezuzah says, here, O Israel, God is one. A Torah is holy because it's God's will expressed in a, in, a, in, a, in a physical way. God dwells within the Jewish people, so the Jewish people are a holy nation, and etc. and etc. These are all elements of holiness. So if Torah is holy words, all Torah is even, again, the Mishnah is holy. When, when, we, when we drop, God forbid, a book of Mishnah a whole, a, on the floor, we pick it up and we kiss it. When we drop a, 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 a book of Midrash on the floor or any book of Torah, we kiss the book. Why? Because we're kissing holiness. But why is it so? But if it's holy and, and holiness is God, so it would have to be God's language. Since God speaks Hebrew and the letters of this book are English or the letters or this is a book written in Spanish or when you are reading or saying Torah in a different language, it shouldn't be holy. The print shouldn't be holy and the, and the speaking of it shouldn't be holy. And therefore we should differentiate and say Number one, if you're speaking Torah in, in, in English or in French, you're not fulfilling your mitzvah of, of saying Torah because it's not, it's not an act of holiness. And we should also say that uh, even if you're unclothed, you can think Torah in English or speak Torah in English. No problem. Or you should be able to speak Torah in English before you say the blessings of the Torah because it's not holy. But it's not that way. A, a Torah book written in, in English printed in English, written in English, is holy. When we read Torah, when we are giving a class right now in Torah, this is a holy class. This is holy speech. Why is that? The answer is because Moshe translated the Torah in 70 languages. And when Moshe translated the Torah in, se in 70 languages, Moshe extended divine speech into every language. By Moshe being the trailblazer, the originator, and he speaking the word of God, communicating the word of God in every language, Moshe opened up the channels. Moshe connect all the, all the languages of all the nations to Torah. 
And therefore, when we speak Torah in these other languages, it is Torah. The Torah, the godliness of Torah, the holiness of Torah is flowing in those words. The book is holy. The speech is holy. And all this is, is holy because Moshe spoke them in the 70 languages. This is similar to the idea that you find that even um, in Chumash itself, there are a few words that don't that the sages had a hard time with identifying these words as being Hebrew words. One of the famous ones is the word totafos, which we say in Kriya Shema. The word totafos, which means the tefillin, the sages are troubled by that word, and then they and they and they explain that it's a word combined from two languages. Part of it is African, and another one is uh, I forgot already which language. There are two languages combined together that make up the word totafos. And so there is other uh, words, Yagar Sahadusa, which is also an Aramaic word in the Torah. And the explanation of that is, is that the Torah itself needed to link up with other languages. And by the Torah itself incorporating, now, see, we're talking two levels. One level is that even if the Torah would have been completely Hebrew, those the script of the Torah would have been 100% Hebrew Hebrew, by Moshe Rabbeinu translating it into 70 language, and Moshe is the one who communicates the Torah, as we're soon going to see, Moshe now opens up all the other languages to be able to funnel the, the word of God into the other languages. That's number one. Number two, in a subtle way, to begin that process, God himself, in the actual Chumash himself, in Hebrew words, with Hebrew letters, writes two or three words in other languages. So that kind of links up, not in 70 languages, but at least two or three other languages are kind of connected, and that kind of serves as the bridge to bridge human language with divine language, that divine language can somehow be funneled through human languages as well, which means languages that are created by man, not by God, and yet these languages should be able to behold the divine speech. And the reason all this needed to be done by Moshe, and that's what we'll also understand why it needed to be done by Moshe, it could not be done by any leader. Because Moshe Rabbeinu is the one, he's the bridge, he's the, he is the bridge, he's the human divine bridge. To bring God down to this world came through Moshe. And that's why Moshe, the one who communicated the Torah, had Moshe not said the Torah in other languages, then the other languages would never be able to facilitate the holiness of the Torah. It's not that your people couldn't come talk. You could come and talk and give the, the, the greatest speeches and the most inspiring classes on Torah, but those classes wouldn't be holy if they were spoken in another language. But by Moshe on, the, on, on, Rosh Chod, on today's day, on Rosh Chodesh Shvat, speaking Torah in these languages, he spoke the divine into those languages. And now, in any language that you speak Torah, now you'll say, well, we didn't speak in English, but these are all offshoots from those languages. And therefore, it's already open. And through that, and this will also explain another thing. In addition to Moshe 
writing or speaking the Torah in 70 languages, Moshe also instructed the Jewish people that when they come into the land of Israel, the first day they enter, they should go to, the, to, to Mount Grizim and Mount Aval. And over there, they, they delivered the, the blessings and the curses. The whole was a whole. They stood on two mountains and the Levium were in the middle. In addition to that, they should build an altar. And on the altar, they should graffiti the altar with the entire Torah in 70 languages. So they had a bunch of writers who wrote the Torah in 70 languages on the stones. There's instruction in the Torah. It says openly, Takimu Esavanim, you should put the stones and you should write them in 70 languages. According to some opinions and according to the Gemara and Masech Sota, it even applies, seems to apply, that Moshe himself also wrote, in addition to speaking the Torah in 70 languages, he himself inscribed the Torah in 70 languages on stones. According to the Gemara, there was more than one set of stones. One, the stones that Moshe wrote, and they went to the and, and those were stones that were carried to the Jordan, and other stones were taken out of the Jordan River, and they were taken to the Hargarizim, and over there it was written again in the other languages. What was the point of that? Now we'll understand that that too was crucial. Because not only do we have to make sure that the language could convey the word of God and that we can carry the Torah out to all languages, but even more than that, we have to make sure that it, the script of every language can also become up. Because it's one thing to speak it in other languages. It's another thing, the fonts, the actual script. Letters are different in every, it's not just the, the language, it's the actual fonts. And that the fonts should be able to be holy when, when they're containing Torah. It's a separate aspect. And it says when, now the question is, when Moshe wrote the stones, the Torah in 70 languages, did he write the, the Torah in seven, or Moshe or the Jewish people, did they write it in Hebrew script in English? So, for instance, and God spoke to Moshe, maybe they wrote for and, Aleph, Nun, Dalid, and, Hashem, whatever, spoke, uh, what would be, Samach, Pei, Vav, Kuf, that spoke, right? <laughs> Hashem spoke. So you wrote it in, 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 in Hebrew language, but they used holy vowel, the, the, the actual script, or did they actually use the ABC? Or the or the the the, the alphabets that the, the the Baltic languages are Russian is a different type than the ABC, or the Chinese uh, um, um, script, the man, the, their language, their fonts. So Rambam says that he used the scripts of each language, and this is all the same idea. It's one thing to say that when I'm speaking Torah in a language, it's holy. How about is the actual book a holy book? Now, obviously. A book, when you when you write um, a Torah, for instance, in English, you're not allowed to read in it. In shul, you can't fulfill the mitzvah of reading in the Torah. It's a question because the, according to Talmud wants to say, according to one opinion, the Torah was given in all 70 languages originally, which Rashi explains to mean that we can read it in shul in every language. To fulfill your mitzvah, to read it in shul. Or... Um, according to this opinion, according to this, when um, the, those mitzvahs that we have to read biblically, 
like once a year, everybody knows, everybody comes to shul to hear the eradication of Amalek. It's a, it's an, it's a biblical obligation to hear the reading. Can you read it in English? We know we can't with the Hebrew and Hebrew, but there were, according to this opinion, you would be able to read it in those languages. Right? Um, but, as we're saying now, we don't accept that. See, the Torah was getting, given in Hebrew. So, so therefore, if I'm writing now a, a, a book, in, uh, even if I literally translate the Torah, all we have is an English Bible. Right, question, English Bible, not a Hebrew with an English translation on the side. The entire thing is an English Bible. I'm talking about the Bible. I'm talking about the Old Testament, of course. And you have a, a book. Is that a holy book? Well, it's not on the same level as it as it written in Hebrew. And that's why you can't be read, read, you can't fulfill your obligation in shul by reading it in a different language. However, it is a holy book. If it falls down, you have to treat it with holiness. You can't disrespect it. If it falls down, we kiss it. Why? Because that too is holy. Why is it holy? Because Moshe extended God's, the, the divinity of Torah, the divine light of Torah, Moshe extended it in an altar language, in, in every language. Now, um, on a simple level, when it says in the parsha over here that Moshe, that, that on, the, on the 40th, uh, on the first day of the month of Shvat, in the month of uh, Shvat, Moshe began to explain the Torah, Rashi says it means, as I mentioned earlier, that he wrote the Torah down. Oh, I'm sorry, he explained, he spoke the Torah in 70 languages. But on the simplest of levels, it means that Moshe started teaching the book of Devarim. Moshe began speaking the book of De Deuteronomy. And that's called an explanation of the Torah. Because Moshe gives much more insight into the meaning of Torah in the book of Deuteronomy. A lot of mitzvahs are explained over there that are not explained earlier. But according to this midrashic explanation that we just explained, the what Moshe did was he translated into 70 languages. And being that when you have two interpretations, the two explanations on the same word, it means that the two are interwoven and interlinked one with each other. So we have to say that this idea that Moshe Rabbeinu went and he extended the Torah into 70 languages. And he extended the Torah even into the script of all the 70 languages. Is somehow connected with the general theme and the general idea of the book of Mishnah Torah. What's the connection? What's the connection of Moshe Rabbeinu doing that? These two ideas. Speaking Torah in all languages and Moshe giving us the book of Devarim. There must be some similarity because they're both hinted to in the same idea of that Moshe begins to explain the Torah. Either it means he tells us the book of Devarim or it means he translates the Torah into 70 languages. What's the connection? And the connection is very, very, very strong and pretty obvious. And that is as follows. When it comes to Mishnah Torah, we know what the sages tell us it's a passage in the Gemara, Masechtis Megillah. In Tractate Megillah, the Gemara says something very interesting about the book of Devarim. 
which again is connected to today, because today is the day that Moshe started teaching the book of Devarim. So here it says that the Gemara is talking about the difference between the rebuke that is stated in Leviticus, in Vayikra, in Pasha's Bukhukosai, and the rebuke, the Toichacha, that is stated in Pasha's Kisavo. There's two partials where Moshe Rabbeinu is warning the Jewish people both on the good that's going to happen if we follow the Torah and on the repercussions that are going to happen if we disobey the Torah. So this we call the blessings and the curses. So the sages say, what's the difference between the two? So the Gemara Mesechtas Megillah Daflamet Aleph Amit Bey says, Kahanim. The, the 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 curses that are mentioned, the rebuke of, of Leviticus, Tairis Kahanim, the Torah of the Kohanim, which is the way that the Gemara refers to the book of Ayikra, that said that was said by God. But the rebuke that is stated in Mishnah Torah in Deuteronomy, um, um hold on. Well, uh, Moshe said it on his own. In other words, they're not God speaking, it's Moshe speaking. Very powerful statement. And a pretty shocking statement. We just heard that, Deuteron that at least the, 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 the rebuke, a certain portion of the Varim, sim simply it seems to be saying Moshe is making that up on his own. It's his own. It's his own teachings. It's his own ideas. It's not the communication of God, and we'll soon see. God forbid. But that's what it seems like. We also have um, other sources, and one of them is the Zohar, and also the Arachayim, great commentator on Chumash. That this, what the Gemara says over here in Masechtas Megillah, that Moshe said a certain section on his own. They say it's not only um, the, the rebuke. It extends to the entire book of Deuteronomy, the entire book of Devarim. Moshe Rabbeinu is saying it on his own. Moshe Mepiatzmayon. The Arachayim actually learns that's the meaning of the first verse. He's, he's, he's trying to explain why does it say Eila, these are. So he's saying that whenever you say it's the first word of, 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 of Devarim, Eila is coming to say, these are and not till now. It's coming to, it's coming to cut off from what was before. It's, it's, it's a word that is coming to differentiate. It's saying this is like this and not that. And what does it say? The first four books are purely the word of God. But this book, he says, Moshe is saying on his own. The words of the Rechaim, Shem Divrei Atzmoi. These are his own words. Shekola Sefer Musar. The whole book is really a book of rebuke. In other words, when it says Klolois, he's, he's extending what it says in, 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 in Megillah. In Megillah, in the, in, in the Talmud, it's statement that says Klolois, which seemed to be referring only to the rebuke, which is just the one, one, one chapter in, in Sefer Mishnah Torah. Uh, but he's explaining that really the, the rebuke includes the entire book of Mishnah Torah because in some way the entire book is a rebuke. And therefore, uh, it's, it's, it's all... He wasn't commanded. He's saying it on his own. It's great. So we got the whole book of Mishnah Torah. Another source to that is the Zohar. 
there's a Zohar in Parshas Ve'eschanon. Hai de'ikra Mishneh Torah. The reason why it's called Mishneh Torah, Moshe mepi'atzmai omra, because Moshe said it on his own. So the Zohar is stating that the entire book of Devarim, Moshe saying on his own. Okay. Now, um, the question, obvious question on that is, we know what Maimonides states in the laws of tshuva, in the laws of repentance. Maimonides over there is discussing people that are called heretics. And Maimonides states over there that if someone argues and says that any part of Torah was not said by God, and Moshe innovated it. Moshe did it on his own. That's a person who doesn't believe in the in the Jewish faith. Okay, that's a, that's that's a, called a non-believer. So obviously, we're kind of stuck over here because we're just saying that Moshe, the Zohar says Moshe said the whole book of Deuteronomy. And if you're going to argue, or, or Rambam is speaking about, is just the first five books, the first four books. And he's not referring to the book of Devarim, because the book of Devarim is different. So we take a look in another passage of Maimonides. This is in the Laws of Prayer, in Hilchas Tefillah, in the Rambam's book, Mishneh Torah, chapter 13. The Rambam tells us an interesting thing. The Rambam says that the entire Torah, you're only allowed to read the Torah publicly, with a blessing and all of that, only when you have a quorum of 10 Jews. You have to have 10 males in the room, and then you can read the Torah over Bar Mitzvah, over the age of 30. The Ramam says there's one exception. The last eight verses of Torah, you can read even without a minion. Why? Because um, it implies, the Ramam says, that they was written after Moshe's death, passing away. It implies Moshe had passed away, because the last first verses describe Moshe's passing. Passed away, and so on and so forth. Once it's, it, it implies that, so it comes out, Moshe didn't write it. It would seem like. And as a result of that, you're allowed to read it without a meaning. In other words, it doesn't have the same level of sanctity and the same level of holiness. Um, but, but here are the words of Rambam. The Rambam says, even though, even these like, even these late, even these last eight verses of the Torah is Torah. Umepi Moshe, and we heard it directly from Moshe. Mepi Hagavura, and he heard it directly from God's mouth. But since it implies that means Moshe himself wrote what he heard from God that Moshe passed away. Moshe is writing that as he's hearing it from God, and that's what he's writing. But since it implies it that if as if it was written later, you're allowed to read it individually. You don't need to have a minion. But you see clearly that Rambam is stating the Farish that the, the idea that Moshe he heard everything from God in, extends even to the book of Mishnah Torah. It's clear that that too is, the, is, is, by, is said by Hashem. But then on the other hand, what does it mean then when we say that Mishnah Torah was said by Moshe on his own? The explanation that is given to that, Mephoshim explained, how it's not a contradiction. And they explain something really interesting. And they say there is 
Oh, no, where does it come from? The answer to that is, is Tosvos. Tosvos, which in the Sechtas Tainus, no, back over here. Tosvos, okay, the great commentary on the Talmud. No, not here. Moshe me'atzmai Omram. When he says Moshe said it on his own, it's it's not. It's Masechtas Megillah. Um, 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 the the Tosva says Uberuach Hakodesh. He said it by divine inspiration. That means Ruach Hakodesh means he's just he's communicating. He's hearing what's coming. He's what's Ruach Hakodesh? Ruach Hakodesh is Holy Spirit. The holy the Spirit of God descended on Moshe, and he's saying it. Which means it's not humanly made. It's not made by a human being. Even Mishnah Torah, in which we say Moshe is saying on his own, he's he's conveying the word of God. He's saying it Baruch HaKodesh. But then what do we mean then? It's 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 Mepiatzmai that he's saying on his own. So we have to say that there is a difference. In Mepiha Gevura. When you are hearing it from God, there's various different levels. Because let's regress a minute. Torah, the five books of Moshe, are not the only part of Torah. Is not the only part of Torah that is communicated by God. We have the other books of Scripture. What's with the 19 other books of Tanakh? These are these are prophecies spoken spoken by the prophets, and when they wrote it down, it was written through divine inspiration, and therefore they are considered part of Scripture. They're part of Torah Shabbat It's holy. So hold it. So, but yet it's not part of the five books. We all know that the holiness of the Torah, which are the five books, is much holier, and the holiness of the Torah extends even to the to the last book. Mishnah Torah. So in what way is Mishnah Torah different than, say, for Shmuel, the book of Samuel? That too was written by, it was written by a prophet. Yet it's not part of Torah. Mishnah Torah is part of Torah. What's the difference? Why is that? Yeah, this is not. So we have to say that there is levels. There is the first four books, which are considered completely mipiagvura, that's the word of God. Then there is the, 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 the rest of the books of Torah, the Nevi'im and Ksuvim, the prophets and the writings, which are divinely inspired. But it's not that level of clear communication that is literally the word God speaking. And somewhere in between, as a mediator between the two is the book of Mishnah Torah. So Mishnah Torah kind of is that middle middle thing. What is it? What is Mishnah Torah? So what Mishnah Torah really is, the difference between Mishnah Torah is, of course, Mishnah Torah, Moshe heard from God, the Varim, the Moshe heard from God, in this, and in, in a sense, the same way like you heard the five first, first four books. 
The only difference is as follows. In the first four books, Moshe Rabbeinu's mouth was literally just a microphone. The, when, when, when you're speaking through a microphone, the microphone isn't adding one bit of anything to it. The ma a microphone is just amplifying it. Moshe's physical vocal cords were a microphone. It's what gave physical sound to otherwise divine words. God is speaking. Moshe, God is speaking through the vocal cords of Moshe. The Shechina is speaking through it. Yeah, it was Moshe's voice that was coming, coming, coming through it because it was coming through Moshe's vocal cords, but it's just a pure transmission of, and Moshe doesn't in any way affect it whatsoever. It's coming through him, but not, it's not in any way, he's not leaving his imprint on it at all. He's completely not there. It's just, he's just, a, he's a perfect conduit. It's passing through him. Those are the first five books. The book of Devarim, the book of Deuteronomy is different. That Moshe means that Moshe Rabbeinu integrated, assimilated it, understood it. It became part of his. He received a, a, a inspiration from above. He, he these divine concepts came down to him, but it processed in his own mind. And after it processed in his own mind, he conveyed it. So here he wasn't just a complete, just a a, a silent channel. Moshe Rabbeinu had somewhat of a integrate, it became integrated into Moshe's consciousness and Moshe's understanding, and then it was given over. And that was done on purpose. That was done for a very important divine reason. In other words, it didn't, it's not because it's any less, it's because it needs to accomplish something that the first four books didn't have to accomplish. The first pure books were meant to be just pure a conduit God in this world. Why did Hashem choose the last book to set it up differently? That he would divinely communicate to Moshe, but then Moshe Rabbeinu would process it, understand it, and then transmit it. By the way, there is a, um, a, a actually a, a uh, according to the Gemara says an interesting thing. The Talmud says, the Talmud talks about the idea if you can learn out when you have, um, if you can, if you can derive certain lessons from the order of the way certain things are stated in the Torah, it's, the question is if it's called darshan smuchim. If you can derive certain things from the fact that this mitzvah is stated next to this mitzvah, can you therefore compare and learn and so forth? So there is an argument if you do that or not. So the Talmud says. Even those who argue that you do not, it's not a method of learning. You know, certain methods that were given to us by God. How are you supposed to uh, um, expound on Torah? Smuchen, one parsha next to the other parsha is not one, one. According to one opinion, it is. According to another opinion, it's not one of the methods. But the Talmud says, even those who say you don't darshan smuchen, you don't use this method in expounding in Torah, would agree that in Mishnah Torah we do. In Devarim, in Deuteronomy, we do do that. We don't do it in other parts of the Torah, in the first book, but over here we do. So one of the um, co early commentators, the uh, the Rashmi Ranishberg, one of the great Mepharshim uh, of the Rishonim, he explains what makes Mishnah Torah different. He says, because, he says like this, the first books are 
just a communication by God, and therefore it's utterly, he doesn't completely give this, this is the way the, this is the, way the Lubavitcher Rebbe explains his teaching, is that the first five books is a pure godly communication. If it's a pure godly communication, it doesn't have to make sense and logic to the human mind at all. It's completely divine. And therefore, the order doesn't have to make sense. There doesn't have to be logic in the order. It's, it's divine. And we, and we appreciate the fact that we don't understand it. And therefore, we can't, we can't make our own explanations in why this is next to that, because who tells you? It's utterly divine. But he says, the book of Mishnah Torah, since Moshe said it on his own, meaning this is something that Moshe Rabbeinu did process through his mind. And therefore, he set it up with already some bit of his human logic, Moshe's logic, which is very obviously very, but there is some rhyme and reason that we can try to figure out. And that's why in the book of Mishnah Torah, we are allowed to make these, these um, lessons. We could derive something from so this is just a support to this idea that when we say Moshe it doesn't mean Moshe saying his own things. Then it wouldn't be holy with the holiness of Torah. Mishta Torah is holy. It's part of a Sefer Torah. And there isn't any bit less holiness in Mishta Torah than in the rest of the Torah. It's just as holy as the rest of the Torah. The only thing that we say is a drop less is the last eight verses. In that one halacha that you can read it even without a quorum. Because it appears that Moshe said it after. But everything else, even the entire book of, of Mishnah Torah, is considered equal on par of the rest of the Torah. But yet, it's different. Why is it different? Because Moshe had somewhat of an absorption, an understanding of it, and now it's funneled. It's kind of a combination coming through, coming from God, but picking up certain, certain of Moshe's um, understanding of it, and that's kind of imprinted on it. And the reason for that is, what's its reason? What's its purpose? And the reason is as follows. You see, um, the rest of scripture, the rest of Tanakh, is holy. Why is it holy? So at first glance, you say it's holy because a prophet spoke them. We know that God, one of the 13 principles of Jewish faith is that God communicates with prophets. There are prophets. So that itself is enough to be holy. A prophet who speaks, let's say we know for sure he's a prophet. He's not hocus pocus. This is a real prophet. And he's speaking words. So his words are holy because we know God spoke to him. And for that reason, that the 19 books of Neviya Muksuvim are holy because of the words of prophets. But we know that their holiness exceeds the holiness of prophecy. Why? Because those books are also called Torah. In other words, it's not just divrei neviim. It's not just the words of neviim. It's also words of Torah. Why is it Torah? Torah is the five books of motion. Torah is what's coming. The reason why it's also called Torah is because this link that Moshe Rabbeinu linked, his prop, one part of Torah is somehow an assimilation of the divine coming into the human experience. If the Torah would be a completely divine communication without any human experience, without even it becoming absorbed in the human consciousness, but transmitted completely in a level of divine that the prophets 
which they are experiencing God with already an integration of their own, of, of themselves in it, would be completely disconnected from the Torah. Same idea that we were talking about before of linking it up. And we actually see a source to this. The Talmud tells us in Mesechtas Tainus. Oh, that's what it was in Mesechtas Tainus. In Davtes. The Gemara says in Mesechtas Tainus that um, Rabbi Yochanan says, is there anything that's stated in Scripture, in the rest of Scripture, in the in the Ksuvim, in the, that is not, that you can't find the source of it in Torah? Which means the, 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 the Talmud is telling us clearly that every idea of scripture, of the writings or the prophets, its origins are in the Torah. Because bottom line, the real, the one communication, the most authentic and purest and truest communication that there is from God to the world is through one person, is through Moshe. That's it. And therefore, even everything that will come later is basically commentary. So there might be a lot of new things that are in the prophecies, but they're not really, really new. They really, really originate in the Torah, in the, in the actual scripture itself. So just like the ideas, if you probe any idea that's stated in the other books, you will find it. Not necessarily that we will find it, but the sages were able to find every teaching of Proverbs. They were able to find somewhere where that idea is already mentioned in the Torah in a very subtle way. The same is also not only regarding the concepts and the ideas, but also to that the holiness of it. The reason it is so holy, because it's it's part of Torah. In other words, why do we listen to the prophet? It's because Torah tells you to listen to the prophet. So the prophets, Moshe tells you to listen to the prophets. And because Moshe tells you to listen to the prophets, and not just that Moshe told you to listen to the prophets as a prophet, it now starts to have the, 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 um, the clout. It starts now to have the power. It starts now, starts to have the validity of Torah to it. Now, that itself is to a certain degree, because we know Navi and Ksuvim are not as holy as Torah. For example, if you have a Chumash and you have Sefer Yeshua, you're supposed to put the Chumash on top of this book of Yeshua. You can't put the your book of Shoftim, or the book of Judges, on top of a, of a Chumash. It, there's rules regarding that. It's a different level of holiness. But yet, it, it is considered an extension of Torah. Why is it an extension of Torah? And how is it that it is an extension of Torah? So Hashem provided that by linking it up through Moshe. Moshe is the, is the only person, the only one person who was able to act as a complete communicator between God and the world in its ultimate in its an ultimate state. And therefore, if Moshe Rabbeinu is not going to be the one who's going to initiate this process of being able to have a, a, a kind of this hybrid experience of divine communication funneled and experienced and understood through a human being and yet remaining divine and re remaining godly, then the prophets, their prophecies, would not, it would be nice, but it wouldn't be considered Torah. So therefore, it has to come through Moshe. So Moshe has to say the book of Devarim, 
which the book of Devarim, which in Moshe, in Torah itself, is kind of similar to prophecy, but again, a higher level, but yet it's similar to prophecy. And through that experience, it, it extends the Torah into all the prophecies. And now we'll take it even a step further. It's not, Moshe did not only do that to the prophets, to the books of scripture. He actually accomplishes that also into all of Torah Shabal Peh. What's Torah Shabal Peh? Torah Shabal Peh is the oral law, the Mishnah, the Talmud, and so on and so forth. The Zohar says a very interesting statement. The Zohar, in the same Zohar I mentioned to you earlier, the Zohar states that uh, there's Torah Shabiksav, there is the written Torah, Vishabalpeh, there is the oral Torah. Vahu ikre Torah u Torah. The Zohar says that Torah Shabiksav, the written Torah, is called Torah. And the oral Torah is called the Mishneh Torah. We find it like the Rambam. The Rambam calls his book of, of all of Torah Shabalpeh, the laws of Torah Shabalpeh, the oral law, he calls it Mishneh Torah. But you see from the Zohar, Torah Shabalpeh is called Mishneh Torah, but hold it. Mishneh Torah is the book of Devarim. So you see from here that the Zohar is referring to the book of Devarim, the book of Deuteronomy, as Torah Shabalpeh, as the oral Torah. The Magala Amukis, who was one of the great mystics, and he wrote a pirush, a fascinating pirush on, on the Torah. He says that um, he refers to Mishneh Torah called Torah Shabalpeh. And he says, just like Moshe, when did he say Mishneh Torah, which is Torah Shabalpeh? When did he say it? In the last year of his life, after 40 years. Knows after 40 years of receiving the written Torah, we got Mishneh Torah, which Mishneh Torah is called Torah Shabalpeh. It's called the oral law. So similar to that, it was 40 generations from Moshe until Rabbeinu HaKadosh, the author of the Mishnah, 40 generations. Now, the Rebbe points out, interesting that that seems to be a little mistake. It's not Rebbe who wrote the Mishnah. It's Rav Ashi who wrote the Gemara, the Talmud. The Talmud was written many years after the Mishnah. From, if you look in Rambam, the Rambam lists 40 generations from Moshe until Rav Ashi. He's the one who actually wrote the Talmud. And then we have a complete Torah Shabalpeh. So the Magala Mukis draws a parallel. Just like in the Midbar, 40 years after Torah Shabiksav, we got Mishneh Torah, which Mishneh Torah is considered Torah Shabalpeh. So too, in, in hist on a more broader historical level, uh, it took 40 generations from the beginning of Torah Shabiksav to the conclusion of Torah Shabalpeh through Ravashi. But this is a very interesting statement. This is basically saying that the book of Devarim is also Torah Shabalpeh. How is it Torah Shabalpeh? It's Chumash. It's not even, it's not, it's, it's not even Nevi'im. It's not even prophets. It's the actual Chumash. And the answer is the same idea that we're talking about. It's the source and the root of Torah Shabbat Torah Shabbat is the strangest thing. On the one hand, Torah Shabbat is considered the word of God. When you are learning Mishnah, when you are learning Midrash, when we are studying now uh, Talmudic discussions, this is all the word of God. That's why it's special. But at the same time, it was human innovation. What do I mean? Who, 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 who came up with, what do I mean, human innovation? It was all revealed by the sages. And the sages extrapolated all these ideas. 
of course, they always find something in the Chumash. From there, they extract. From there, they took it out. They they learned all of Midrash is all deriving. They're looking at nuances. But Torah is, the whole idea of Torah is that it's, it's coming from the Jewish people. It's coming from Hachmei Yisrael, from the wise men of Israel, from the sages of the Jewish people. Rabbi Yochanan says too. Rabbi Gamaliel says this. Rabbi Akiva says this. Rabbi Yehuda says that. These are the words of the sages. Seemingly, it's human intelligence, but at the same time, it's holy. It's the word of God. In other words, Torah Shabbat is some kind of mysterious hybrid. It's, a, it's some kind of a, of, a, of, a, of a marriage between the human mind and the divine and, 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 and divine communication. And that's the magic of it. That's what's stunning about it. So much so, that's not only the sages. Anybody today who studies Torah with, the, it, with purity and with the right set of mind and not to brag or not to show off and not for any ulterior motives in a very real, sincere way based on the, the premises of Torah. You can't just do you know, whatever you want. It's not a free-for-all thing. But if you study Torah and you follow the methods that were taught by all the earlier generations and you come up with an innovative teaching, not a new law, but an, an innovative teaching in Torah, that becomes part of Torah. And it is holy. It's the word of God. But hold it. Yankel, you know, Shmendrik came up with that. He's not such a Shmendrik. He's learning Torah, but that's nice. But he's still, <laughs> yet, it's the word of Hashem. How does that happen? Well, that's Moshe in Mishnah Torah. Moshe was the one who opened up that experience. By Moshe taking the word of God and funneling it through his own mind, he already created with God's will and God desire, this hybrid, this ability to be able to take, to, to absorb the word of God, integrate with it, and, and elevate the human mind and the human experience to become included in that divine truth. And as a result of that, Moshe extended, Moshe ex the book of Mishneh Torah, the entire book of Mishneh Torah, is what acts as that link between the divine and the and the human mind to enable both, as we said before, that prophecies should not just be that prophecy is valid on its own because it's divine communication. But yet, it's not just considered divine communication to a prophet; it's considered Torah. So Moshe is linking up all the prophets with Torah. So they're all part. It's called the twenty-four books of Torah not the 24 books of prophecy just, or 19 books of prophecy. It's all part of Torah. That's number one. Number two, Moshe is extending th that divinity into the, into, into the entire Torah Shabbat Peh to allow for the Torah Shabbat Peh to come about, which is that we uncover God's truth. And it's really God. It's not, we're not making up something. If it's not true, then, then it's not Torah. It has to be true. But we can reveal the, the, the divine mysteries and uncover it with our human mind. And our minds can so, sort of merge with God and, un, and, and connect and see it the way God sees it through the probing of our human minds. That's awesome. And who opened that up? Who linked that up? That's Moshe in the book of Mishnah Torah. Now we'll understand that part of that linking and part of that amazing breakthrough that Moshe 
accomplished with the book of Mishnah Torah is at the very same time and in the same idea of Mishnah Torah, what else did he do? He also opened up the channels to be able to experience the divinity of Torah in all languages and in all scripts. And all of that is awesome. Happened on the 11th month on the first day of the month. Without this an incredible day of the first day of Shlach, we would have a divine Torah, but it would be so outside of us and our experiences. It would always be some doctrine from above that has nothing in any way that it can, can assimilate it, that we can become part of it, and it can take us through and through, and that we can and that we can even innovate and become part of that experience. It would be utterly outside of our experience. And that's the awesomeness of this. The Rebbe concludes this amazing thing, and he says it's related to the month of Shvat. You see that the Shvat is big day for us Hasidim in the month of Shvat is that on the 10th day of Shvat, Yud Shvat is the previous Rebbe's yard site. Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak, six Chabad Rebbe. And the Rebbe says something very interesting about his father-in-law. This the, the Rebbe is the successor of his father-in-law. He says the previous Rebbe was the master of the esoteric teachings of Torah. And he is the really also in the same way like Moshe, the trailblazer, in taking Hasidic teachings and disseminating it into all languages. Until the previous Rebbe, all Hasidic teaching, all teaching, all Kabbalistic teaching primarily, was kept safe and secure in the lock. Everything was only in Hebrew or in Yiddish, which was the language, was the inside language of the Jewish people. And those who didn't speak Yiddish or didn't speak Hebrew, we're kind of locked out of it. The previous Rebbe made it his business to take even the most sublime inner parts of Torah and channel them, and he asked, and he worked, that they should start disseminating them in different languages. Someone told me that uh, um, in, in, uh, in he was in, when he was a boy in yeshiva, he was in a camp, in a real Hasidic camp, Hungarian Hasidic camp, and Lubavitchers arrived on that in that camp, and they was and they had a book sale, and they were selling, and they sold Tanya, and on the on the table there was a Tanya in English, and there was an old Hungarian rabbi, he's a big tzaddik, a big tzaddik, but he couldn't get over it, and he wasn't excited about it, it like bothered him, he couldn't understand how was Tanya, and he had such a reverence for the book of Tanya as being so holy. He couldn't see it as, as reading it in English. It disturbed him so much. It completely knocked him off his equilibrium. And I understand where he's coming from because holiness, it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be holy. How do you speak it in, in English? It's like, it's like, it's, it's like so mundane. It's so external. It's so outside. But yet the previous read believed differently and said the world's got to become holy, the entire world. And it's not just that when we interpret it, and here we might argue, we might say that, wow, when you're reading Tanya in English or any of these books, Hasidus in English and so on and so forth, you're giving access to people who can't understand it in the other Hebrew. But it's lacking the quality of the divine fire 
Hasidus is the, is, the, is the inner teachings. It's the inner soul of God. It's the inner soul of Torah. So the unique quality that when you eat it, when you learn it and you digest it and you take it in, it inspires, it wakes you up in a very deep place. It resonates and it touches you at your core. It doesn't have that quality because you're, you're it's in a different, it's, it's, an, it's, it's in that language. It's not in the holy tongue. It's not in the holy language. So the Rebbe says, the previous Rebbe unlocked just like Moshe did it regarding to Torah in general, the previous Rebbe, to some degree, re revealed that also in the most inner, deepest, esoteric elements of Torah. That, that even though it doesn't make any sense, yet we, we have that ability to be able to tra translate, transmit, convey, the very deepest, innermost truths of the divine in every language. And when we speak it, it has the same quality as when we would speak it in Yiddish or in, or in the Holy Tongue. Why? And that's related. The previous Rebbe passes away in the month of Shvat. The yard side of the tzaddik is always the time most relating to his soul's quality. And his soul's quality was the Moshe quality of transmitting Torah to every language. And our inspiration for us is that today's days we have the ability to take every aspect of Torah, notwithstanding, not, not the, the loftiness of it, Kabbalah, Hasidut, everything, and literally flood the world and every language with Torah so that every part of the world becomes holy. I would add to that that Shvat has to do very much with Mashiach. Shvat is from the word Vayakam Shevet. Come Shevet me Yisrael. Shvat is Mashiach's month. That's why the Lubavitcher Rebbe is related to the month of Shvat. He becomes Rebbe on the 10th of Shvat. And Mashiach's light and dominance over the whole world, Shevet, is going to be in every language. Because God and holiness and truth cannot remain forever relegated and um, 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 in, in the boundaries only of one language. It ultimately has to explode everywhere and in everything. And that's our unique task and our unique ability. From Mishnah Torah, from this powerful day of Rosh Chodesh Shvat. So may we merit already to hear the shofar of Mashiach, the words of Mashiach, and let it ring across the world in every single langu language loud and clear, and the entire world will cry Amen to that.